Ramble. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Bada bing, bada boom. Welcome to this week's mini-sode of Rotten Mango. I'm your host, Stephanie Sue. The person looked like they hadn't slept in days. They were clearly agitated, clearly nervous. I mean, you could see by the way that they were pacing around. It seemed like they were mentally preparing themselves to do something. A few of the officers took note. Okay, this, this person's a little strange. Detective Sergeant Lucy walked over. Hi, uh, how can we help you? They stood up, eyes bloodshot. The stuff, the stuff in the mountains, is me. What stuff? The body parts that you're finding scattered around the mountains. I cut them up and threw them all over the place up there. I blacked out and I don't know what happened. I just threw them all over the mountains. The detectives rushed the individual into the interrogation room, but once they started questioning them, nothing was adding up. Why would they lie about something like this, though? Were they lying? I mean, they weren't a serial confessor that had confessed to high-profile crimes that they didn't commit. They weren't doing it for attention. They weren't going through a mental health crisis. So if they were lying, why would they lie about something like this? Or maybe they weren't lying. Maybe they were telling the truth. Maybe the detectives had no idea what they had just gotten themselves into. As always, full show notes are available at RottenMangoPodcast.com, but there's an incredible book on this case. It is written by a crime reporter by the name of Frank Gearney, and it's called Crowded House. This is the first book that he's ever written, and I was, I have to say that I was so surprised. He did a stellar job. I mean, this case is meticulously researched, very well written. He had extensive interviews with the families of the victim, and this case is just really not what it seems. There is so much much more going on than what is presented. So stay tuned for that because there's so much more than meets the eye. And it's not all great, if I'm being honest. So with that being said, the Wicklow Mountains, often referred to as the Dublin Mountains, are huge. Towering over some of Ireland's busiest cities, a portion spills into the capital city of Dublin in Ireland. And on a sunny day, you look at these mountains and they look beautiful. They look full of lush greenery, and from a distance, it almost looks like a dream. You want to skip work or school and just run through the lush foliage, and you want to breathe in that crisp mountain air. You want to hear the trickling of the streams. You want to lose yourself in the mountains. On a gloomy day, the mountains cast a great shadow over the residents. It just feels like the mountains have a life of their own. The fog, just everything. It's like they're whispering to everyone. I have a secret. Aren't you dying to know? The vast terrains, the dense foliage, the numerous bodies of water, the thick forested areas, it's a great place to keep secrets. Whether you're with a friend, with sweat dripping down your foreheads, making a pact, whatever we did tonight, we'll take it to the grave. Or maybe you're alone, glancing over your shoulder, promising yourself this was a one-time thing. It won't happen again. But even the mountains have their days. 
and every so often a secret will slip out and a body will be found in the mountains. In the 80s, the body of Phyllis Murphy was found in the Unforgiving Hills. She had been raped, strangled to death. It took 23 years for her killer to be brought to justice. Then, Antoinette Smith. She was found raped and strangled, buried in the mountains. Her killer still remains a secret that only the mountains know. Mariara Rostas. She was held captive by her killer before being shot four times in the head. Her body lay hidden in a shallow grave in the forest. Nobody has been convicted of her murder. The secret lies in the mountains. And then, June 10th of 2017, the Murphy family unrelated to phyllis murphy the murphy family had been enjoying this quaint family picnic near the mountains a lot of dublin residents make it out during the weekend to get away from the pollution get some fresh air christine murphy was in a bit of a panic she's like i really gotta pee like you guys don't even understand i gotta pee so bad i'm not gonna be able to wait till we get home so you know what this is the circle of life mother nature has seen crazier things the woods are thick nobody's gonna see me I'm going to go find a little private area and do what I got to do. She wanders down a slight hill just off the road and the sound of twigs snapping under her as she took each step. And it's almost like she ran into this invisible wall, an invisible force. She just stopped dead in her tracks. She said what she had seen was so startling she couldn't take another step forward. It looked like a piece of a pig. That's how she describes it. She didn't go near it. Instead, she did her business, walked back to join her family, and stayed for another hour. She didn't want to ruin the mood. Like, you ever see roadkill? You don't want to announce it to people because it's just depressing. Maybe it was that. So after an hour of soaking up the sun, forgetting about what she had assumed was a pig that had fallen victim to the circle of life, to Mother Nature, she forgot about the secrets of the mountain for a second. The Murphy family started packing their bags to head home. Once they got to their car that was parked on the side of the mountain road, they noticed the window had been smashed and a handbag had been taken. They're like, oh my God. Christine's aunt suggested that they all split up and start searching around the car in the ditches, in the woods. You know, they're thinking maybe the thief took the valuables out of the purse and ditched the purse. That's what they seem to do. And the purse had some sentimental value, so everybody starts searching. This time, Christine stumbled on the same remains of the pig and she said, Hey, Jonathan, will you come over here real quick? Her brother jogged over to her. What's going on? Will you come look at this? Jonathan recoiled immediately when he saw the remains. What? Christine, what is that? I think it's a pig. Christine, that's not, that's not a pig. Look, do you see that? That looks like the upper torso of a human. Like, you know, the part of the rib cage that goes up to the neck? That part. Christine, I think this is a human torso. The police were called that night. The area in the mountains was sealed off, and the remains were taken to the medical examiners to be tested. They were revealed to be the lower torso of a human body, consistent with a male in his 20s. The body seemed to have been discarded recently, 24 hours or so. The grass leading up to the remains freshly flattened. So what does that mean? It suggests that someone drove by and just tossed dismembered torsos down the ditch. The police were puzzled, you know, on how they were going to solve this case. I mean, it's very clear that foul play was involved. The way that the torso was cut, it was a clean cut. This was no animal feasting on the remains of a hiker who ended up dying of natural causes. This was definitely something fishy was going on. 
The next day, a Dublin detective walks in. He had taken the day off yesterday. And once he was filled in and all the open investigations, he stood there frozen. What's wrong, detective? Nothing, it's just... Yesterday was so nice out. My partner and I were hiking, and I, I saw a part of the creek in the mountains that was a bit discolored, and I saw what I thought were the internal organs of an animal just kind of strewn across some rocks. But now, now that you mention it, that's pretty close to where the torso is found. Dublin authorities organized a giant search effort that included the local police, military specialists, civilian volunteers to search through a wild mountain range, which is just incredibly difficult. But they had to try, right? Authorities were able to narrow it down to a 50-mile radius. That's already huge. You give me 50 miles of flat land and a car, and I still wouldn't even know how to tackle this search. But a mountain range? So they get volunteers, they get all the authorities involved, and soon body parts were popping up like Easter eggs around the same road through the mountains. All they knew up until this point was that the body belonged to a male in his 20s, and someone was tossing the body parts out as they were driving through the mountains. There was a human leg near the waterfall, an upper right arm, a right thigh, a a knee near a patch of vegetation off the main road. They slowly start piecing together the body parts, And eventually, they would find the whole body. They were piecing together the victim like it was some sort of morbid puzzle. But that still didn't answer the question. Who killed the victim? Who dismembered them? And why? All they knew was that there seemed to be a pattern. The mountains were very good at keeping secrets. The town of Wingap back then was like a small dot on the map. It's a space of land where it seems like wind just rushes in and out. That's about it. That's how small it is. It's a pretty popular tourist destination now. They have these giant tombs that date back to the Stone Ages of Ireland. It's almost like a cultra mecca. They've had other high-profile artifacts that were found from like the Viking Ages. There's a lot of crazy stuff that's been found there. But back when Patricia O'Cook was born, it was just Wingap, just another tiny Irish village. There wasn't a lot of residents, and I think the Cook family took that very personally. Yeah. They were out here for world domination. Maybe they found satisfaction in single-handedly trying to repopulate the entire town because the Cooks had 13 children. 13. I mean, that's wild. I feel like that could sway the whole voter base in Wingap. And at the time, that is, Patricia was smack dab in the middle of the sibling lineup. She had exactly six older siblings, six younger siblings. Look, my sister has two kids, and her house looks like a tornado blew through half of it half the time, which I imagine is very normal, but not the cook house. No. Helen, the mother, the matriarch, she was house proud. So she took a lot of pride in having a clean and orderly home. That was her thing, which seems nearly impossible when you have 13 children, but she made it work. Every single child, no matter their age, were expected to do chores. Obviously, the chores were age-appropriate, so you didn't have a five-year-old paying taxes. You didn't have a six-year-old changing the oil of their family car. But everyone had their duties. Nobody would be kicking up their feet while the others were working. So Helen was a strict mom. She despised two things in the whole world. Two things. Laziness and sloppiness. Oh, those two things would trigger her like no other. Every day, it was Patricia and a few of her other sisters' chores to go down to the local well with these giant buckets. They didn't have running water in the house. They would have to fill the buckets up with water, haul them back home with water splashing all over them. And 
Patricia would then dry off, visit a local farmer every night to purchase a pint of milk, quote, for the baby. She did this for years because it seemed like Helen was always pregnant and was always giving birth to, quote, the baby. There was always the baby in the house. It was just a different baby every time. (laughs) So with more and more mouths to feed, Helen's like, okay, well, we can't afford to go grocery shopping all the time. We got to do something else. She starts a garden in the backyard. She starts growing fruit, vegetables. When the fruit ripened, she would send the kids out to pick them so she could turn it into jam. Oh, she loved that garden. She loved using seasonal vegetables to cook for her family. And her kids loved to go out there and hear the crunch of the potatoes being pulled out of the soil, the crunch of the carrots. They would rinse off the fruits and vegetables in water and they would rush in and they would be hit in the face, hit straight in the nostrils with the most delicious smells. Helen was like a serious chef. She always had some jam simmering, a chicken veggie stew, a roast in the oven, and the kids would start salivating. But nothing, nothing compared to Easter Sunday. Oh, the meal of Easter Sunday. The next day, the cook kids would run to school and they would brag to all their classmates about how many eggs they ate. Oh yeah, they'd be like, I had 10 eggs last night after dinner. All the kids would be so jealous. My mom only lets me eat one egg. She says it's too much sugar. I have to save the rest for the rest of the week. You're so lucky. You have such cool parents. The Cook kids would leave out the minor detail that their family couldn't afford to hide chocolate eggs, so they were eating boiled eggs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The other kids were looking for chocolate eggs and could only eat one because it was too much sugar. Uh-huh. But the cook kids couldn't afford chocolate eggs, so they were just eating 10 boiled eggs. The kids are so jealous. The kids are like, you had 10 chocolate eggs? They're like, yeah, 10 eggs. <laughs> so during the winter, Helen... Okay, this is really how financially not the most prosperous they were. Helen would knit bed sheets out of flour sacks. And when it got really cold in the winter, the house didn't have heating, so Helen would have to throw heavy winter coats over the kids' blankets to keep them warm. And Patricia loved it. She even took a job as a babysitter as she got older to ease some of the financial burden her parents must have felt. Every single person loved her. The parents loved her, and the kids especially loved her. They would whoop with joy when they spotted, okay, Patricia has this wild red hair insanely wild okay i i I think of that disney character when i think of patricia and her red hair and it's just bouncing bobbing as she walks and they would see a peek through the window of her red hair bobbing up and down down the driveway and they would freak out they were so excited they loved having patricia as their babysitter and since patricia is the middle child she took care of a lot of the younger siblings too Naturally, I would say that she was a pretty good mother figure. Like, you know how some people just have that matronly vibe, Mm -hmm. that motherly bone? Yeah, and then at just 16 years old, Patricia's like, I can't do it anymore. I can't live in one gap. I can't. I want to be in the big city. She moves to Dublin. She was nervous. She was excited. Some of her older sisters lived there, so it's not like she was completely alone. But I think Patricia was just kind of meant for that city life. She loved being different. Not in the annoying, I'm not like other girls way. No, but she genuinely just wanted to rock a peacock feather. She would wear these crazy print blouses that would intentionally, intentionally clash with her fiery red hair, but she loved it. She's like, that's my style. I want to look as crazy as possible. 
Why do I resonate? <laughs> okay. And she loved the color green. She constantly said all redheads should wear the color green. Now, to afford all these funky clothes, Patricia had to get a job as a cleaner. And she worked really hard. And during the weekends, she would go to the club and dance her little heart out. One of those days, she bumps into a man. Augustine O'Connor, a.k.a. Gus. Now, the relationship was quite problematic from the start. He was 10 years older than Patricia. And in 2023, I probably would have called the cops, but I guess times were different then, I suppose. Nobody even batted an eye to the fact that she was barely 17 and he was 27. They bump into each other and soon Patricia was seen with a baby bump. The two were pronounced husband and wife. Gus was, um, yeah, he was a nice guy. That's what all of Patricia's 12 siblings said. He worked for the Department of Transport. He wasn't like the most ambitious husband. He wasn't the one to be like, one day you and me, babe, we're going to be loaded. Which after the last main episode, maybe that's a good thing. Okay. But he, he, he just, he wasn't the most educated either. He was just a hard worker. He's the type to stay loyal to a company and stay with them for decades. He loved his young bride. I mean, that's all that matters, right? Besides, that's all Patricia cared for. She didn't care that neither of them weren't making much money. She didn't care that the cramped little house that they moved into was perpetually wet. Yeah, the walls were quite literally sweating, it seemed. There was always a sick wetness about the house. They couldn't even hang up wallpaper because it would slip right off. It was like putting a sticker on your arm after a workout. Why? Are they near the water? I don't know. Oh, just very humid? Very humid. It wasn't going to stay put. And at 17 years old, Patricia gave birth to their first child, Richard. Now, with a child, the family was offered government-assisted housing. It's not free, but you do get offered a house and you have to make payments on it. You have to reach a certain criteria. You can't have like a criminal record. You can't commit a crime while you're in that house. But it's, it's a lot. You get a full house. It's not even, you know, a room. It really feels like a home. It's not the best house, but they were offered a house at 66 Mountain View Park. It was set in the foothills of the Dublin and Wicklow Mountains, where soon a body would be found. The house was pretty grim. It was pretty battered, beaten up, but Patricia was like a hopeless optimistic. She grew up in a house that others initially would have balked at. They would have been shocked, but her mom had managed to turn it into this beautiful, cozy home that people were jealous of. They had a lush garden. They had just nonstop cleaning, cooking going on, and it felt so good. It felt like a home. And so Patricia is like, I've seen nothing turn into something. That's what I'm going to do with this house. And the place was big. It had four bedrooms, a nice porch, a nice backyard with a shed. It was a full circle moment. Patricia's like, I'm going to have my own garden, just like my mom. The only problem, it, well, the only downside, was that there's just one bathroom. The four bedrooms were upstairs, and the bathroom was downstairs, and it was pretty small. But none of these things really mattered since the house was in a great school district, which was important because Patricia had Richard to think about, and she was pregnant with a second child, a daughter. Louise. Now, what's wild is that since Patricia gave birth so young, some of her younger siblings were around the same age as her own children. Mm. And they would all hang out and it was just a whole blast every time she brought her kids back to Wind Gap. So this goes on. This cute little family goes on for 10 years. And the family and the children, they all seem happy and healthy. And Patricia starts drifting. I think she had given her all to motherhood. And now she had a moment to breathe, to take a step back. And she realized, wow, I don't think I'm happy. 
don't get me wrong. I'm so happy being a mom. I love it. It's so fulfilling. My kids are my whole life. But I am not in love with Gus. And we both know it. I mean, I had been so young when we got married. She was just 17, remember? She was a completely different person now. She had life experience. Now she knew what she liked, what she didn't like, what made her tick. She knew all of these things. And she knew she wanted to experience more of life. But Gus, he was nearing his 40s. And all he wanted to do was lie down. That's it. He wanted to stay home and lie down. They really did not have much in common. I don't even know if they had much in common to begin with. But there was this mutual respect there. And at least for a while, Patricia would affectionately refer to Gus as the old fella. But it was time to move on. Richard is 10. Louise is 6. The couple break up. Gus was devastated. He felt like he had been nothing but a kind and loving husband. He had no complaints about Patricia. She was the perfect wife. And he still loved her even after she broke up with him. They never officially divorced. I don't know if it was for the kids. I don't know if Gus refused to or whether it was for social stigma purposes, but they were definitely separated. Patricia even moved out and started dating, which side note, I love this, but she sat down with Gus before moving out and she said, this is my house. As much as it's your house, it's my house. I'm moving out, but if I ever decide I want to live here again, I have every single right to be here and don't you forget it. I like her. Yeah. So after moving out, Patricia did what a lot of newly single people do. She threw herself into her work. At this point, she was working at a hospital as a caterer, and this was that was her title. But she was more of a ca- but she was more of a caretaker of patients. That's how she treated her job. She would stay there for the next 32 years. Wow. So truly, this job was a big big part of her life. Every single day, she had to serve food to over 800 patients, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, three times a day, and each time it would take hours, so it's back-to-back. The cooking staff would prep all the food. The caterers would come in, plate the food, and put them on these carts. They had to go room by room to distribute them to the patients. It was a physically demanding job. You had to load up these massive carts, haul the food around, deliver them room by room, and add to that the emotional stress of having patients at various stages in life and illness progression, it was a lot. Patricia could have won employee of the month every single month if they had it. She took her job so seriously. I think she got it from her mom, who was a hard worker, never got lazy. It's fascinating. It was hard to dislike Patricia. She was one of those people that had incredibly high standards for others, so she refused to clean up other people's messes. If she felt like you were purposely slacking, she would have no problem confronting you, calling you out about it. But you couldn't even be mad at her because you see the way that she works and you know that she holds herself to an even higher standard. So, I mean, what could you say? Mm -hmm. She was on time. She was never late, never called out, worked hard, worked overtime. And she always did it with a smile on her face. I mean, how do you hate on that? Mm -hmm. She memorized every single patient's dietary restrictions, allergies, everything. I mean, the patients adored her. They would get excited anytime they heard the unmistakable sound of the food cart trawling down the floor. And, And then they would hear Patricia's voice singing and whistling. Oh, they would get so excited. Which, side note, Patricia was not musically gifted at all. She didn't even memorize songs, so most of the time she was stringing together a bunch of random words and modifying the tune as she went. It did annoy some people, but most of the staff and patients loved her because just her energy was infectious. 
Patients were literally jealous of other patients who had Patricia as their caterer. She truly cared. Like if you were having a bad day, she would go out of her way to make you laugh. Her feet would ache from walking around all day, but she would dance for the patients to cheer them up, making up moves as she went. And by the time that she was done, your food was ice cold. (laughs) Yeah. But you wouldn't even care, you know? You would just eat your cold mashed potatoes and with a little smile on your face. She was the type of employee that got letters and cards from patients that were discharged, personally thanking her for her kindness. Wow. Yeah. Which, side note, sometimes colleagues didn't like Patricia in the beginning for the sole reason that she was um, obnoxious. That's the word that they use. They always thought that she was so high energy and so bubbly, it seemed fake and forced. And then um, they, somehow she would win them over. They're like, okay, maybe she just is like this. <laughs> She also dished out really good advice. So whenever colleagues are stressed out and they were getting yelled at by management, Patricia would pull them to the side and say, don't let them ever see you stressed or upset. Always smile because they won't even know what to think at that point. And finally, after years of being separated from Gus, Patricia fell in love again with a woman named Jane. Well, we're going to call her Jane. They met at work, and Patricia would tell friends that she didn't know she was interested in women until she met Jane. She would joke that Jane turned her gay. Now, mind you, being gay in Ireland in the 80s is not easy. Sexual activities between two men, even in the privacy of their own home, minding their own business, two consenting adult men, was illegal. Lesbian sex wasn't illegal because it wasn't even recognized under Irish law. They're like, fuck women. They don't have the right to be gay or straight. They do what we want. So with that, there were protests, revolutions taking place all over the country. But, you know, a lot of people still kept it hidden that they weren't straight for fear of retaliation, punishment, getting fired, ridiculed, or potentially even death. Patricia was not one of those people. When she started dating Jane, she had seen the whispers around her at the workplace. She had heard, seen the glances, heard the little whispers. So she walked into the break room one day and said, If you guys are curious, you should have asked. Yeah, I like women, okay? She said, this is life. This is what it's about. Sure, look at it if you want, but I'm not hurting anyone. I'm just not into old fellas anymore. So Patricia and Jane, they move in together and Patricia's like, oh, I just feel genuine happiness. Other than her children, Patricia had never felt this type of connection before. She never felt it with Gus. So she is positively in love. And then Jane cheated on her with another work colleague. Mm. It was a devastating loss. I mean, she had to see the new couple cozying up every single day at work. It was miserable. Patricia was devastated, and after Jane, she just never let herself get attached to anyone ever again. This is around the time that she moves out of Jane's apartment and back into 66 Mountain View Park, back in with Gus. They lived in separate rooms, operating more like roommates, but Gus felt like it was his chance. This meant that Patricia wants him back, right? Wrong. She was not interested. She tried to focus on the kids. Not that she hadn't before. I mean, she was a very present mother, but now even more so. Patricia was really close to her first kid, Richard. Richard had nothing but the highest praise for his mother. He said, you know, she could be a bit disagreeable at times, but not within, without reason. Her main trigger was just like her mom before her. She hated laziness. He said, oh man, she would lose her temper if she thought someone was purposely avoiding their responsibilities. 
Luckily, Richard was like that too. He hated laziness. So the two of them, they were always up and moving, getting things done. They understood each other. Louise, on the other hand, it's like every family has, there. there's like the one black sheep, I feel like, that just, I think just energy levels. It's not like people don't want to like that person, but they're like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this. <laughs> Louise was that black sheep. She had a very strained relationship with Patricia for the exact reason that she was lazy. Other than the red hair, Louise and Patricia had nothing in common. Louise was not into anything. She wasn't into school. She wasn't into work. She wasn't into cleaning up around the house. She wasn't into anything. Okay, that's a lie. She was very much into not-so-great guys. Her first pick was 19-year-old Keith Johnston. He wasn't the worst, but he did have a past. He dropped out. Dabbled, dabbled in drugs, let his life spiral out of control, hit rock bottom, and he decided he didn't want to live like this anymore. He got his life back on track, and this is around the time that he met Louise. The two get pregnant rather quickly, and the whole family dynamic at 66 Mountain View Park changed drastically. Richard moved out, Keith moved in, and baby Stephanie was born. Yeah, this is in 2005. So all four bedrooms were being used. Louise and Keith were taking two, one for them, one for baby Stephanie, and the other two rooms were used by Gus and Patricia, who were sleeping separately, of course. Patricia didn't like the new change, but she didn't mind Keith too, too much. So he put in work. He maintained the house. He was pretty handy, good with just tools. I'm like, I don't even know how to describe it because I suck. He, he would help renovate the downstairs bathroom and put up new paint and wallpaper the stuff. He, he was good. And then Louise got pregnant again. But this time it wasn't Keith's baby. But he treated the baby like his own flesh and blood. So truly, Patricia thought, okay, maybe this guy is rather okay. He was, she wasn't going around praising him to everyone who would listen, but he, he wasn't the worst. For a while, things were okay until Louise and Keith broke up and Kieran Green moved in. Kieran was young. Six years younger than Louise. She's 28 at this point. He's 22. I mean, we don't really know much about the guy, but he was quiet. He kept himself. He was very sheltered. His teachers said that he was a few years behind his classmates in terms of mental development. Louise was Kieran's first everything. First girlfriend, first time living with a girlfriend, first time impregnating a girlfriend, his first everything. Louise would go on to have three children with Kieran, meaning, are we doing the math? There are five young children living in this house. Now, don't get me wrong. Patricia loves her grandchildren. She would do anything for them. She especially had a close bond with the oldest, Stephanie. I mean, Patricia would not shut up about Stephanie. She would dote on Stephanie all the time. She would brag about Stephanie to anyone and everyone who would listen. This is so weird because I have a really close friend named Patricia and this is like the opposite of what she does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. And it just wasn't enough to rid the house of tension. I, I mean, I don't think anything was enough. Patricia immediately hated Kieran. I mean, call it mother's intuition. The minute he stepped into the house, she hated him. She could tell. He was lazy. He's not pulling his weight. He's not a great father. Neither Louise nor Kieran had jobs. They weren't trying to get jobs. What's worse than that is that neither of them helped around the house or even raise their kids. Patricia did everything. She would come home after a full shift, change dirty diapers because the 
parents couldn't be bothered. Clean up, get dinner ready. I mean, she did everything. She paid the bills. She paid for the groceries. She paid for the house. Gus was retired and he would do nothing. Patricia would beg him. Can you just pick up a few things around the house since you're home all day? And he wouldn't because, and I quote, the mess never bothers me. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Gus would also later say that he was being bullied by Louise and Kieran. He straight up accused them of elder abuse. Now, Gus was just a non-confrontational guy. He was very compliant. He always chose the path of less resistance. And since Patricia is out working all the time and she was outnumbered, the path of less resistance for him, selfishly, was to not stand up for his wife, but to side with Louise because he's around Louise all the freaking time. The only thing Louise and Kieran were good for was to go shopping with Patricia's credit card. Now, mind you, Patricia left the credit card out of the goodness of her heart. She could not bear the idea that her grandchildren would be hungry during the day. The parents don't cook. So it's supposed to be like, hey, kids, you ever get really hungry? You go use this card to go buy food if you need it. Louise and Kieran would take that card and go shop for things that they wanted. Not even things for the house or things that they needed. Straight up things that they purely wanted. The tension in the house got so bad that Patricia preferred to be at work rather than at home. Work was easier. Home was a headache. She couldn't even relax. It all reached a tipping point when a few things happened. Well, first, Patricia couldn't relax in her own home. She starts dreading her off days. She starts picking up extra shifts. She's working overtime, not only so that she can stay away from the house, but they desperately needed the money. Patricia wanted to retire and to get all these funds, these extra funds to feed these many people. It's a lot of money. She was the only one in the whole house with a job. She would rant to her colleagues that Kieran was giving Louise a pig's life. The worst part about Kieran, she said, was that he thought himself to be the man of the house. He did nothing for the house, for anyone. He just thought he was the man of the house because back in the caveman days, men ruled the house. So he thought I should rule the house because I'm a man. What kind of dumb emotional thought process is that? Patricia tried to kick him out, but Louise would yell at her. Her own daughter would yell at her. No, he has the right to live here. He is the father of my children. Yeah, but Louise, you don't have the right to live there. You're a full-grown adult. This is not your home. Your name is not on the title. You do not pay the bills. So Patricia would spend most of her time at work, and right when she got home, Louise would snatch Patricia's phone and wouldn't let her have it back because she didn't have a phone. So she wanted to use Patricia's phone. Sometimes Patricia didn't even have her phone when she was at work. It was miserable. Richard said it was difficult to even get in contact with his own mother. I mean, who does that? It was a tough situation for Patricia. She wanted to kick out Louise. She wanted to kick out Kieran, but the kids. Louise and Kieran would take the kids, and she knew it. And mainly, they would take the kids because they knew Patricia would want the kids. It's not because they love the kids. And what, the kids are just collateral damage? How could a grandmother do that? So things were just getting really bad. Patricia would constantly reject her sister's request to visit. She always made up some sort of excuse, but the truth was she was just embarrassed. She didn't want her sisters to see the shitty situation they were living in. So in 2016... Patricia thought, you know what? I've had enough. My whole life goal, everything I've worked so hard for was to pay off this house, 66 Mountain View Park, and to save up enough money to retire. I'm going to do it. So she retired. 
Her plan was, Louise and Kieran should be getting a government house soon. Just like how 66 Mountain View Park came to Patricia and Gus, they would get government housing and they would all move out. Patricia would then focus on taking her grandkids on vacation, spoiling them, and oh, gardening. She was so excited to remodel the house and set up her garden finally, just like her mother had when she was younger. These were their plans. These were the plans that she told her coworkers about for years before retiring. And in 2016, she walked out those hospital doors one last time. And everyone smiled and they prayed and hoped that Patricia got everything she hoped for because God knows she deserved it. One full year passed in Patricia's retirement and not a single thing had changed. Well, maybe the fact that Patricia started smoking weed, but that was to deal with the chaos and the stress. Can you imagine five kids, four adults in this cramped house with one bathroom? I don't even know how they would split up the rooms, especially since Gus and Patricia weren't sleeping in the same room either. The kids ranged in ages too. Stephanie was 19. The youngest, the three youngest were under the age of 10. Patricia was positively losing her goddamn mind. Okay, just losing it. Louise did nothing. She's nearly 40 years old. She still didn't have a job. Neither did Kieran. And they didn't plan on getting one. They didn't even raise their kids. Louise would use the excuse that she had Graves' disease, which I'm not saying that Graves' disease is an excuse and it doesn't actually impact every single part of your life because it does. Uh, In milder cases, Graves' disease still impacts your whole body. Your heart could beat faster than normal. You could sweat more than normal. You're more prone to muscle weakness, irregular periods, weight loss, as well as mood swings and irritability. And I think it heavily depends on each person, but for Louise, it was not life-threatening and it did not seem to be debilitating. It seemed like she was using it as an excuse, which is such a shame and disservice to others suffering from Graves' disease and other chronic illnesses. Anyway, I say that she was using it as an excuse because we'll see later. Louise spent most of her time refusing to take care of her own children, smoking cigarettes on her PJs on the couch watching TV. She was a full-grown 38-year-old woman with five kids. And, you know, I get it. It's not just Louise. Kieran is a parent too, but he was just as bad. Every single person relied on Patricia for financial support and expected her to be everybody's maid. I get that if they both physically can't work. I get it. That's not what I'm saying. Like, you gotta work, even if you physically can't. That's not what I'm saying. But they were physically capable enough to go outside, go shopping, hang out, watch TV, do all these fun activities, make a mess. They were just always too tired to clean it up or too tired to get a job. The only other person that helped out was Keith Johnston, Louise's ex. He would come over about twice a week to see Stephanie and the other kids. He would do Patricia a few favors here and there around the house. He was a super handy guy. Oddly enough, Keith and Kieran became friends. And I say oddly because they were complete opposites. Remember, Keith was friendly. He was good with his hands. He was happy to be doing things. Meanwhile, Kieran couldn't even change a light bulb. No, he really couldn't. He refused to learn. He could not be bothered. Richard, Patricia's son, would describe Kieran as nothing but a fool and a moron. He also said Louise clearly wore the pants in the relationship. Kieran was just doing whatever she wanted. And now that Patricia wasn't at work for 12 hours of the day, she was home to witness the full extent of Louise and Kieran's laziness, and she was utterly horrified. At one point, the Irish Council actually offered Louise a home, government housing, which is how Patricia got her home in the first place, through government-assisted housing. Louise turned down the house. 
knowing how desperate Patricia wanted her home back to herself. She rejected because it wasn't, quote, big enough. Yeah, I'm sure the whole family fought it out on this one because, I mean, she turned down a perfectly good home for no reason at all. It's suspected that she was never going to take any house. It was too easy for Louise to let her mom watch the kids, cook and clean for her, as well as give her money when they all lived in the same house. So tensions are rising. Patricia wanted Louise and Kieran out, but Louise apparently wasn't going to go anywhere. Richard saw glimpses of the shit show that his childhood house was turning into. But since he had moved out, he didn't know how dangerous it was becoming. Before it was too late. The officer sat down with the individual that was confessing to the murder and dismemberment in the mountains. I'm sorry, what did you say your name was again? Kieran. Kieran Green? What? And Kieran, who did you cut up? A brother? A friend? A stranger, perhaps? Maybe the ex-boyfriend of your partner? A business partner? My mother-in-law. Well, she wasn't officially my mother-in-law, but I've been with her daughter Louise for the past 11 years. We have three children together. What? Wait, you're telling us the body belongs to Patricia O'Connor. The detective's ears perked up because the name rang a bell. Just a month ago, Patricia O'Connor had been reported missing by her family members. But that doesn't make sense, because the body that they found, they were dealing with a male victim in his 20s. So were there two bodies that were murdered and dismembered? Are you sure, Kieran? Yes, uh, here are my keys. You guys can search the Toyota. It, it, well, these are my keys, but it's her car. I drove it here. Anyway, I put her body in the trunk before I dismembered her. And why did you kill her? There was a fight. Uh, over Stephanie's cat. So to cool off, everyone went to the park, but Patricia stayed home. She was mad. She blew a fuse when we got home, started another fight, and then stormed out of the house. We thought it was over. We tried to stop her from leaving, but I think she just wanted to cool down. So everyone went back to sleep that night. I decided to take a shower. We just have one bathroom. So when everyone was asleep, it was the perfect or really the only time to get some alone time. And as I'm in the restroom on the lower level by myself, about to shower, Patricia comes home, opens the bathroom door, and starts coming at me with a children's hurley. So hurley is like a sport they play in Ireland, and it's basically a wooden stick, similar to a hockey stick, but if it, it's child size, so it's pretty small. He claims Patricia kept trying to lash out at him with it, and there was this big struggle that ensued before he grabbed it from her. And the investigator is intrigued. Kieran says he doesn't really remember the rest. He said there was this massive struggle and then he woke up on the bathroom floor sometime later. There was blood everywhere. Patricia was laying there limp. He panicked. He dragged her all the way upstairs and realized, I don't have a plan. The whole family is upstairs sleeping. And so he brought Patricia back down and put her in the trunk of her own car. He had placed blankets underneath so that the blood wouldn't sleep into the trunk. He started driving. He drove until he found this little alcove and he dug out a shallow grave, buried her, and drove home thinking it was over. But on his way, he noticed there was a small property. There was a small house on the property where he had just buried Patricia, a tiny little farmhouse. And the idea that someone would find her freshly buried murdered remains lingered in his mind. He lost sleep. He couldn't sleep for five days before deciding, you know what? I can't do this. I have to go. I have to go back and I have to get rid of her body and I have to do it better this time. So he went back, dug her up, cut her up right there in the dark in the middle of the night before scattering her remains in the mountains. It was quite a story. It was quite the wild one indeed. The detectives didn't know what to make of it because the remains they found were male. So what is going on? 
The investigator wondered if maybe Kieran was unhinged. Maybe he was one of those groupies that high-profile homicides sometimes attract. Maybe he just wanted to take credit for something so vile and heinous. Maybe he wanted the attention. They wouldn't know that the truth was so much worse. But for the time being, they didn't have evidence, so they had to let him go. Black plastic bags have a lot of lives. Sometimes you get them at the gas station for your caffeinated drink, and you know, you're preparing to make the last leg of your road trip. Sometimes you get them filled with your favorite takeout. Maybe you reuse your black plastic bag to fill with clothes to change into after your date. The investigators were staring down at a black plastic bag. It was the grisliest discovery of the bunch and a sobering realization for the police. The investigators knew that they had just let a killer walk out of the station. Kieran did not lie. The victim was not a male in his 20s, but rather a woman in her 60s. What? How does a mistake like that even happen? The public wanted answers. Honestly, the public thought it was a huge conspiracy because some of the rumors going around, people believed that there were in fact two bodies found. One man, one woman, and maybe there was a serial killer on the loose and it was, it was a time of heightened public unrest and maybe the police were lying so that nobody would freak out. So how did it happen? The medical examiner stated that they weighed the bone density and it was quite heavy. The heaviest bone density are typically belonging to men in their 20s, like young men. Now, as you get older, or if you're born biologically a female, you tend to have lower bone density in general. But anyway, regardless of your gender or your biological sex organs, as you get older, you start losing that bone density. And that's why it becomes more and more dangerous to break a bone when you become elderly. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Patricia had that high of bone density was incredibly impressive. So they assumed the gender and age by yeah, that? bone density. Because they didn't have wow. anything else to go off of. They didn't have the private areas. Mm. They didn't have a head. Yeah, they didn't have anything else. And Patricia was kind of a heavyset woman. So as they were finding, you know, parts of her thighs and ribs, it kind of made sense that they assumed it was a male in the 20s. The investigators were floored, though. The discovery led them to verifying Kieran's green story, and Patricia's head and hands were inside the black plastic bag. But they posed another question, which was, was Kieran working with someone? The hands were sawed off at the wrist, and the head showed visible cuts and fractures to the skull. So the thing that stood out the most to them was the way that the head and hands were severed compared to the rest of the body. The rest of the body had clean cuts. I mean, the investigators morbidly said that they could have fit some of the pieces back together like a puzzle because of how clean the cuts were. But the wrist and the neck were jagged, like they had been hacked off. Does that mean Kieran dismembered Patricia two separate times with two separate methods? Or was he working with someone else? Did somebody help him? It was time for Kieran to come back in and answer some questions. Kieran was interviewed multiple times, and majority of the time with the police, he spent it slandering Patricia. He claimed he had to kill Patricia because she was abusive. She hated men and took it out on the family. Look, this part kind of pissed me off because Patricia was far from perfect, but she loved her family. She let them live rent-free in her house. She cooked, cleaned, and did everything for the family. Now they're painting her to be this abusive, unstable tyrant of the house so that they could get away with murder. Kieran ironically called his time living with Patricia as the 10 years of hassle, but he never moved away. Instead, he stayed, eating her food, sleeping in her house, using her money. So what does that mean? 
but they had the audacity to allege a ton of nasty things about Patricia. They claimed that she used up all of Gus's savings. They said that she liked to start fights over nothing. She would insult her own grandkids, calling them slurs. She would yell at them that they should have been aborted. She would throw heavy teapots at them for no reason. They claimed that Patricia assaulted the grandkids and would beat them so hard that they would be so scared that they would hide under the dinner table. Investigators were intrigued. I mean, why do you think that this elderly woman, whom everyone else, her former colleagues, her other family members, siblings, they all had nothing but great things to say about her. Why do you, Kieran, believe that she hated the kids and you guys so much? Kieran said his working theory was that Patricia hated children and hated men. He claimed that she was, quote, raped by a priest, and now she hated all men because of it. But I think this is where Kieran has no idea what he's talking about because none of this makes sense. He said because Patricia hated men because she was raped, she wanted her granddaughters to be raped. I don't know, maybe he's trying to go off the logic of she wants them to suffer the same fate that she did. And in the same breath, he claims Patricia wished the grandboys were all born daughters and called them homophobic slurs. Again, the logic on this one just, I don't know, is very confusing. Does she hate all men but all, want all women to be raped by all men? Like what's going on here? And if you thought Patricia couldn't get any worse, according to Kieran, she wanted everyone in the house to die. They said that she had already attempted to murder Gus once. What? Yeah, she tried to push him down the stairs. Why would she do that? She just wanted him dead. That's all. She, you know, she even asked Louise to kill Gus because Louise could get away with anything because she has Graves' disease. That's what Patricia said. What? Kieran said that Louise declined to murder her own father, but Patricia kept trying. Nothing new in this house, just a normal Tuesday festivities here. He said, I feared for everyone's safety in that house. At one point, Kieran broke down crying about how he just wanted his children to be happy. He said he feels so guilty for what he did to Patricia, but he just needed his kids to be safe. And he just felt... He felt like at least my kids are finally safe. No one has to live in fear. The kids won't be assaulted or abused. The police never brought up the fact that they could have all just moved out if they were that terrified. Like they even turned down government housing. That's odd. If you're so scared for your children's life and you were offered government housing, would you turn it down because it wasn't big enough? There were a lot of parts of Kieran's stories that did not make sense. His description of Patricia didn't match what others felt about her. Which, fine, you don't really know someone until you're one of their closest friends or family. I get that. But why didn't you guys take the government housing? Why didn't you move out? Why stay and live in fear for 10 to 11 years? Other parts of the story. Kieran claimed that the day of Patricia's murder, she was hitting him over the head nonstop in the bathroom. He did not have injuries that were consistent with his claims. But it had been a while. So fine, we'll let that one slide too. But here are the parts that the police could not overlook or accept. The parts of Kieran's stories that just didn't even make sense. The first was that he claimed Patricia willingly stormed out of the house after the first initial fight. And once everyone fell back asleep, she came back home and confronted Kieran in the bathroom alone. Well, Louise backed up his story and said, yeah, mom stormed out of the house and said, I'll come back when Gus drops dead. Everyone went to sleep. They said it was 10 p.m. Stephanie also claimed she went to sleep at 10 p.m., which wasn't true. The police seized her computer and it indicated that she had been watching YouTube and anime around 11 p.m. And then later, she would apply for jobs on her computer at around 11 p.m. Okay, but fine. Teenagers don't really have the best track of time, maybe. It was just conflicting. Kieran changed his story a couple more times. First, he said he was in the shower when Patricia stormed in and attacked him. Later, he said he had a stomach ache and was on the toilet. Either way, 
He claimed that she was hitting him on the side, aiming for his head, but he was able to block it with his arms. How many times did she hit you? Three times, maybe more. The last one knocked the wind out of me and I got sick from it. So I wrestled with her for a very long time. How long, Kieran? Maybe 15, 20 minutes? Keep in mind, that's a very long time. 20 minutes of constant struggling to hurt each other, that's insane. Just to tell you how long it is, the average fight in a wrestling match is seven minutes long and they take breaks. 20 minutes? Are you kidding me? So keep this in mind. He said he couldn't remember how many times Patricia hit him. He couldn't even remember how many times he hit her, but at least a few times. He said, and I quote, I definitely hit her two times, but I could have hit her a little more. She could have hit me more too, but it was all self-defense. This wasn't planned. I defended myself. I couldn't overpower her. And if I wanted to kill her, why would I have waited 10 years of torture to do so? So during the 20 minutes, Karen, not a single person woke up from the commotion. You're struggling for 20 minutes. That's a long time. Okay, well, fine, nobody woke up, but why didn't you shout for help if you were being beat up by Patricia? Beat up to the point where you were so scared you had to defend yourself by attacking her. I was in shock. I was dazed. She had hit me on the head. We were all over the place. Kieran, there were seven other people in the house that could have easily come to help you. Why did you not shout for help? It wasn't a noisy fight. She just kept saying that she wanted us out of the house. She was saying that she wanted us all dead. She kept saying it. She said she wanted Gus dead. She wanted everyone dead. All the way down to the kids. I'm not a bad person. She hit me hard and she winded me. She slipped and she hit her head. Again, it didn't make sense. She was saying that she wanted them dead and Kieran never shouted for help. He never even asked the kids to leave. Like, get out of here, everyone. Because if Patricia kills him, who's to say that she's not going to move on to his kids? And the police were able to draw out the floor plan of the bathroom. And the way that Kieran was describing the fight, they noticed that he would have been closer to the door than Patricia. She would not have been blocking him from leaving. So they asked, why didn't you just leave? I didn't run because she kept hitting me. If I turned my back, she would have hit me on the back of the head. But you said at this point, you had taken control of the stick. No, she was still holding on to the other end. Okay. He said that they both knocked out at one point, he woke up with blood everywhere, and Patricia was on top of him, limp and dead. Keep this in mind for later. Kieran said he thought he was dead. Why, you ask? He saw his dead uncle standing there at the bathroom entrance, telling him that everything was going to be okay. And he panicked and brought Patricia upstairs. And how did you get her upstairs, Kieran? I must have been going backwards, dragging her up. I'm not 100% sure. I just felt safe at that point. I felt like she wasn't going to hurt the kids. She used to tell my daughters that they all should have been raped. It was just nonstop abuse, and I wanted to protect the kids. But Kieran, that still doesn't answer the question of how you got this woman upstairs. Patricia was just over 5 feet, but she weighed close to 200 pounds, and the medical examiner said that her bone density was really impressive. Kieran, no offense, you're kind of scrawny, not particularly muscular or athletic. Even a bodybuilder would struggle to carry 200 pounds up the stairs. Now, if we're talking a dumbbell or maybe a giant rock, maybe it's a different story. But when somebody is limp, there's extra stabilization that needs to be used to carry the dead weight. Essentially, the weight distribution of moving a limp figure is not in your favor. So it takes a lot more strength to move 200 pounds. So Kieran suddenly had superhuman strength and everyone in the family suddenly slept like they were in medically induced comas. Kieran said his dead uncle gave him the strength. Whoa. So what happened once you got her upstairs? 
I started throwing up. I was panicked at this stage. I was just hoping that she was knocked out. I thought that she was still alive. I went back to the bathroom downstairs and started cleaning up the entire bathroom with bleach. The whole statement was odd. Kieran went from saying that he was happy that Patricia couldn't hurt the kids anymore and that she was dead, and then immediately saying that he just thought she was knocked out. But when questioned about these things, he said, I was just all over the place. I was in panic mode and I didn't know what to do. Everybody was asleep, okay? But I was petrified someone would see the bloody mess. I mean, who could I turn to? Well, why didn't you call for help? Why didn't you get the paramedics to help Patricia if you thought that there was a chance that she was still alive? I was panicking. I didn't know what to do. Why didn't you call the ambulance? I didn't want anyone to see her. Okay, so you had the chance to save her, but you decided to leave her to die. She would have told them that I hit her. She would have been believed. It wasn't planned. I was just trying to keep my kids safe. I let her die so my kids could be safe. Okay, so what'd you do after? I moved her back downstairs. I grabbed her by under her arms. I walked backwards. I dragged her down and yeah, her feet just fell each step on the way down. And I left her body by the bathroom door and I got the car keys and I put her in the trunk. Where did you take her? I was sobbing. I just started driving. I, I made sure not to speed and I found a spot. I went back to the car and I dug with my hands in a stick and placed her in the grave until covering it back up. He dug a grave with a stick? In his hands. What? Yeah. So at this point, Kieran is claiming that he not only had superhuman strength, he was also a skilled crime scene cleanup professional and a professional digger. He didn't even leave a single trace of blood in the bathroom or the stairs or the hallway or upstairs where he claimed he had left Patricia. And he dug an entire grave with just his hands and his stick. I mean, this really is something. And now he claims he went back to dismember Patricia with a hacksaw. He said the whole thing made him feel so ill, but he had to keep thinking of his kids. He divided her into five or six bags, drove up the mountain, and started dropping them into ditches. Later, detectives would interview Louise to see if they would corroborate this story, and a couple odd things came about. They discovered that the day after Patricia was murdered, Keith Johnston, her ex-boyfriend, came over to help renovate the bathroom. So him and Kieran painted the bathroom walls, renovated some of the tile, which was weird. Why would you guys do that? Louise said, oh, we just thought that if Patricia came back, she'd be in a pissy mood if the bathroom wasn't clean. She had been nagging us about renovating it, so... That's what we were doing. That was a perfect opportunity. Yeah. Keith also went on a whole ass rant about how Kieran was so useless at handiwork. And he did say something very interesting. He mentioned, you know, I did think at one point I was potentially cleaning up a crime scene. The police were like, wait, come again. And he was like, oh, it's just a joke yeah. in the bathroom during the remodel. He was like, you know, I did think it was a crime scene. And the police were like, why would you just say that? Oh, it's just a joke. When they tried to clarify, he said, you guys are lying assholes. He just blew a fuse, erupted on them. So Keith goes on a whole rant about how Kieran is so useless at handiwork that Keith has to come over and do everything, which detectives thought was interesting because in the next room, Kieran is claiming he dragged Patricia's body up and down the stairs, dug a grave with just his hands and a stick. Oh, and then he dismembered Patricia with a hacksaw and made rather clean cuts on all the dismemberments. I mean, does that really sound like the work of someone who is physically incapable of changing a light bulb? Those were just some of the things nagging at investigators while interviewing Louise, Kieran, and Keith. But some hard evidence that really contradicted their version of events, there wasn't a single drop of blood in the bathroom, the stairs, in Patricia's room where Kieran claimed he put Patricia after the struggle, or in the trunk. Sure, Kieran claimed he cleaned the crime scene, but... 
these are forensic experts that we're talking about. They were called to the scene to gather information. They were testing for blood. They were testing for any residue of cleanup. Usually there will always be some sort of blood evidence found. It is harder to hide the blood evidence than to clean it so well that there's no longer any evidence. There was nothing. Not a single speck of blood up and down the stairs. Not in the hallway. Nowhere. Not even in the trunk. Also, Kieran never mentioned changing clothes or showering before burying Patricia, so it's safe to imagine that he had blood on him. There was no blood in the front of the car. But I'm sure he'll find some sort of argument for those. But let's talk about things that are harder to lie about. Autopsies. During Patricia's autopsy, the Emmy noticed five lacerations on her head. Huge. The lacerations were bone deep. They were, um, one of the cuts on the back of her scalp was so wide and deep, the medical examiner could fit his fingers between it. The bone had been pushed right into the brain. But that's not the part that was startling. There was not a single defensive wound on Patricia's body. Not a single Mm. one. She did not put up a fight. Kieran claimed they fought for about 20 minutes in the bathroom. He said Patricia was dead set on killing him. No defensive injuries, not a single one. So they struggle for 20 minutes and he gets away with a few bruises and scratches and she ends up with a smashed skull and no defensive injuries. Some other things that weren't adding up, Kieran claimed he only used a hacksaw which would theoretically be used to dismember Patricia's head and hands. But the other body parts had clean cuts, which would be nearly impossible to do with a hacksaw. They would need like a power saw, which they did have at home. But in the middle of a ditch, there's no way Kieran would have brought one out there. Nor did he mention that he did. Kieran did bring the police to a shallow ditch where he claimed he buried Patricia. And there did seem to be some disturbed soil. They did find a few of her hairs in the soil, but there was no blood. He claimed he dismembered Patricia right there in the ditch. But again... No blood. Dismembering is a bloody business. So why would he lie about that? Where was Patricia dismembered and why would he lie? Kieran's family believe that he's not very bright. They believe that he was tricked into saying these things to the police and they believe that Louise and Keith had put him up to this murder. They made him take the fall for Patricia's murder. Even Richard, Patricia's own son, believes that. Louise's own brother believes that. So why would Louise kill her own mother? She was just an unhappy person, quite miserable and evil, if I'm being honest. Shortly after Patricia was murdered, Louise burned every single picture of Patricia in the house. Richard demanded, yeah. What the fuck? Richard demanded she tell him the truth because he felt like something fishy was going on. And she cryptically just told him the truth would shock the fucking life out of you. What does that even mean? Louise didn't even have the decency to inform Patricia's family members of what had happened. They found out through authorities. And then there were the receipts found in the house. After Patricia disappeared, somebody bought a three by three foot plastic tarp. They bought grout. And at the same store, a few days later, someone brought paint. The paint matched the freshly painted bathroom walls. Another receipt showed that someone bought two pairs of gloves, three saws, two adjustable hack saws, and one 10 inch saw and more plastic tarp. Someone also bought two pairs of waterproof boots. Later that day, Well, almost immediately after, someone went to a different store and bought two axes and a pack of 10 blades. Later, someone bought baby wipes, household gloves, tow rope, vinyl tape, and some utility knives. The police pulled CCTV from those stores where the receipts were issued, and there on the screen were Kieran and Keith. Interestingly, both men forgot to mention their little shopping dates, and they would later say that they were shopping for unrelated things. Which, speaking of CCTV, now... (laughs) 
The family's neighbor had cameras positioned at both the front and back of his house. The funny thing is, Louise and the others were aware of his front camera, but they had no idea that the neighbor, Sam's camera, also got a large portion of their backyard, as well as the side entrance of the house. Now, mind you, the neighbor said he was never spying. He said Patricia and Gus were aware of these cameras. They never minded it. Louise, however, did not know. They just knew the front camera. So remember Patricia allegedly stormed out of the house after the big fight? Mm -hmm. Well, the front-facing camera caught her storming out of the house. But you can't see who it is. It looks to be a woman walking slowly. She's wearing a dark green jacket with the hood up. Odd, since it's summer and it wasn't raining. The figure also had a suitcase in one hand. One minute later, Louise appears to be searching for her mom that just stormed off, looking right and left like, oh my god, where did she go? What's wild is that later, Stephanie, the 19-year-old granddaughter, is found sneaking back into the house using the side entrance. She did not think that that was caught in the neighbor's camera. So they're trying to make it seem like Patricia left. Oh my gosh, it was Stephanie? Yeah, so Stephanie comes back. And we know it's Stephanie because um, there was a little bit of her shirt peeking out from under the green jacket. And her wrist, the shirt part, had some very distinct designs. And earlier, they had gone to the grocery store. And on the CCTV camera, Stephanie was spotted wearing that design. Wow. Yeah. So the detectives believe that Louise and Kieran forced Stephanie to do this. And afterwards, the cameras also caught them in the backyard plotting something. Like the three of them. That just... Is what it seemed like. Which three? Louise, Kieran, and Stephanie. And so when Louise was confronted with this evidence, she was pissed. She said, my neighbors are videoing into my house. Nice. How is that not against the law? Like invasion of privacy? That's fucking disgraceful. Yeah, she was really pissed about it. Gus also claimed that he was asleep by 11 p.m., but he was seen on the cameras pacing around at 1 a.m. So a lot of lies are coming out at this point, but they stuck to their plot hold filled stories. Till the very end, Louise would deny being involved in her mother's murder. Kieran was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. And while he was rotting in prison, Keith almost immediately moved into the family home and made himself comfortable. Of course, that raised a bunch of eyebrows, especially with Kieran, who finally felt like he had been played. He slowly starts piecing together that they were most likely sleeping with each other this whole time. They had plotted to kill Patricia, wanted Kieran to take the fall for it, while they ride off into the sunset and their beautiful, fresh... Freshly paid off home. Kieran finally called his attorney and said that he would like to confess. This time, he confessed. Everything stayed the same, but he said that Gus was the one that killed Patricia. He came into the bathroom, bonked Patricia on the head with a crowbar. Gus, the husband? Yeah. Gus denies this, but Kieran is sticking with this story. And then he said Keith came over and everybody knew about the murder and everybody kind of helped him dismember Patricia. He never elaborated where and how he dismembered Patricia. Yeah. Kieran claims that he didn't cut up Patricia. That's Those were the words he used. Kieran claimed that Keith was the one that did all the cutting. He was too busy throwing up. So now Kieran had implicated Louise, Keith, Gus, and Stephanie in the murder. Kieran said, I was persuaded to take the blame for all of this, so I said I would. I took the blame, and I don't even know why. I went and I told the police that I killed Patricia when I didn't. I feel like I shouldn't be taking the blame for all of this. I feel like I was set up because my missus and Keith are going back out. I reckon this was all planned. They're out there, and I'm taking the rap for it. Kieran felt played. Unfortunately, it all worked out for everyone else. This is infuriating, but Gus, Keith, Louise, and Stephanie were arrested. Gus denied ever laying a finger on Patricia. He did confess that he knew that she was dead. Yeah, which was utterly heartbreaking because 
Gus and Richard actually went to the police station before Patricia was found murdered and reported her missing. Mm. So the fact that... they were lying then. Yeah, I mean, the son wasn't, but the husband was. And the fact that the son went with his dad, Mm. and it's like, your dad didn't tell you this. I can't even imagine the level of betrayal that I would feel. So how does he know? So Gus said that he went on a walk after this whole fight that had happened. He came back home, and there was... um like a big lump in the living room that was covered in blankets. Yeah. He said they pointed and was like, that's Patricia. Patricia attacked Kieran and now she's dead. And Gus being the best husband of the year, he went upstairs to go to bed after telling them, call the police. The next day, he did not follow up. He did not call the cops. He just said, I left them to it. I knew the body had been moved and disposed of, and I knew Kieran had left it in the car at one point, but I don't know. I had nothing to do with it, honestly. We didn't even fight before I left the house that evening. I was livid. I wasn't there to stop whatever happened. I was also livid when they forced me to move out of 66 Mountain View Park. So he's comparing how angry he was having to move out of the house to that being similar of when his wife was murdered. He did apologize profusely and accepted whatever punishment he got coming. He pled guilty to impeding the apprehension and prosecution of Kieran Green. A forensic psychologist assessed Gus ahead of his sentence hearing, and he told the court, Gus was a vulnerable and highly suggestive individual who doesn't cope well with negative feedback. His overall cognitive ability was below average. He's characterized as someone who shies away from confrontation and is easily controlled by others. The report claimed Gus would be very vulnerable to elderly abuse. Gus tried to apologize to Patricia's siblings at the court hearing, and they refused to hear him out. But since Gus was 76 years old, the judge decided to be lenient. He was sentenced to 18 months in prison. Stephanie was also sentenced to 18 months in prison for her role in pretending to be her grandmother. Now, the judge believes that she was probably pressured into doing this by her parental figures. She's very low risk for reoffending. It seemed like it was more of a forced decision for her. After Louise was arrested, she kept pointing the finger at Gus and said that her dad killed her mom. She maintained her, quote, innocence. Yeah, uh, until today. Yeah, what's wild is that she got out on bail and continued to stay at Patricia's house, even after she admitted to knowing about her murder and not helping Patricia. She stayed in the home that Patricia had worked her whole life to pay off. Wait, so she didn't get much punishment? What happened to her? Um, this is, she was out on bail. Her trial was in 2020, and she pled guilty, and she was sentenced to three years. So was Keith. So Gus and Stephanie got 18 months. Keith and Louise got three years, which is, I mean, they're Nothing. all pretty, Nobody's yeah. Nobody's really was charged. Kieran did get a life sentence. But life, oh, okay. Which, I mean, the whole thing is really underwhelming sentences, if you ask me. It seemed like Louise was more pissed about not being able to get government-assisted housing anymore and not being able to keep her mom's house more than she was upset about her prison sentence. Oh, the house was taken away? Yeah. We still don't know what truly happened. No. Who's actually in charge of this and who actually did what? Nope. We have no idea. But it's safe to imagine that Louise and Keith were probably more involved than they're leading on to be, allegedly. And for the reason of... Getting a free house, getting her retirement money, not having to listen to her. And Richard said he was disgusted. He said this whole thing was demented. The fact that they dragged Patricia's name through the mud after everything that they had done, he just described them as despicable. Even all of Patricia's former colleagues and patients were horrified at the way that Patricia was being depicted. They rallied around Richard to support him. The wonderful ladies at the hospital put together a large memorial photo montage of Patricia that they had. 
And knowing that Louise destroyed all the pictures of Patricia in the family home, they gave it to Richard, and he would cherish those forever. He said, As a parent myself, I ask myself, why do some parents feel obligated to help their adult children, even though it causes tension and distress? Why did my mom have to die due to the utter selfishness and laziness of others? I'm at a loss to understand why, after my mom's murder, they tried to destroy her character throughout the trial and even now. No compassion, no real emotion, no remorse has been shown or spoken by those involved. Richard said he was robbed of the chance to see his mom one last time to say goodbye something he would never forgive his sister for. And that is the devastating story of Patricia O'Connor. The crazy thing is, even if they had gotten away with murdering Patricia, their lives would be harder. Do they not realize that Patricia does everything for them? Do they not think about these things even? I mean, it's just pure evil, lazy. Uh, I don't even, I have no words. Please, please stay safe. And I will see you guys on Wednesday for the main episode. Bye.